and welcome to episode 19 of the Talent Crush Chat Show podcast. My name is Christopher Royce. I do my darndest to write things. <laughs> my name is Stevie Jackson. I do my darndest to write and produce and act. <laughs> Why don't we say darndest? It's our show. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> I don't know. Somehow we're keeping it PG this week. We'll see. We'll see if that continues. I don't know. There's no well, rules. Yeah, we're like 15 seconds in. I'm sure there's F-bombs coming. Maybe. I don't know. My mom listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll keep it PG-13 at the worst. I don't know. Sure. Let's okay. Talk about I mean, the she knows history of the MPAA. No, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's going on with you, Stevie? It's, uh, it's been a minute since we talked. It has actually, hasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. What is going on with me? Oh, I filmed that Hallmark movie. Had I done that oh, last right. time we talked? I feel like I hadn't. I don't remember. At the very least, you didn't, or you weren't able to talk about what was going on with it. Um, I seem to recall. Yeah, I still don't know. I, I don't think I can tell much about plot, but I think it's fair if I haven't. And I apologize if I've already done this. <laughs> but I know I filmed it. I filmed it August 26th. Okay. So I feel like that was after we recorded, but before we released. Yeah. Um, so I did, uh, a day on a Hallmark movie called Matchup that I think will come out at Valentine's Day. It's a Valentine's story. Fun. Um, it, I mean, I think I can, without truly spoiling anything, I think I can say that it follows the sort of Hallmark plot pattern that you've come to expect. (laughs) Warm, fuzzy, everybody ends up happy because that's how these things go. Um, and I, I have a very small part toward the end of the movie um, as an airport worker. Uh, the fun thing, though, was I, I got my call sheet and realized that not only uh, was one of the producers someone I'm friendly with, but also one of the actors who was playing yet another airline worker, playing the nice. stewardess for the same airline, uh, was a friend. So I got to set and I actually knew a couple of people, which is always nice. That's cool. Can yeah. I ask, unless it's giving something away you're not supposed to, is it mm-hmm. a real airline or a fake airline made up for the movie? I believe it's a fake airline. Okay. Cause I that can't remember stuff, the name of it. <laughs> I love, I love names of things where they're like <laughs> clearly trying to say, or trying to like in, invoke or evoke a particular brand, but they don't want to actually say it for legal reasons. Yeah. No, I think it's a fake airline. I didn't, um, I know the U.S. has a lot more sort of regional airlines than we do in Canada. Sure. So I, first of all, I could be wrong. And second of all, it's possible that, as you say, they're trying to evoke an uh-huh. airline. I did not recognize the uniform as belonging to any particular airline. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I fly, even when I go to and from the U.S., I'm generally either on Air Canada or WestJet. So yeah. those are the ones I know. Um, where I would actually recognize a uniform at a distance. Definitely what I wore looked very much like an airline uniform. Like Mm -hmm. it, it absolutely was whether it's for a real airline. I don't know. So you are in your Janet from the good place uniform. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, sort of. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was just thinking about this actually earlier when I was working on this writing project and like, okay, well, I don't want to use the name of specifically an airplane manufacturer, which is my, what made me think of this. I didn't want right, to right, check right. Airbus specifically mm-hmm. because that's a real company and it's a real big company and yeah. who knows how litigious so, people get. So, so you just call it AirTrain. <laughs> exactly. I don't think that was where I landed, but yeah, Fly it was train. like that. <laughs> But it, it involves definitely doing a lot more research to, like, make sure nobody's used this name of something before. And there was one thing that I liked that ended up, there was something very similar that was a company in the 1920s or something for, like, two uh-huh. years. Yeah. Like, mm, probably still somebody owns the trademark on that. So we'll Maybe, yeah. But that's where Google's your best friend. Like, we Absolutely. ran into that um, in writing Honestly Charlotte. There were a couple of things. I mean, we Googled names to make sure that there was nobody... Uh, with any sort of like reputation who yeah. shared any of the characters names to make sure that they were um, sort of uh, common enough mm-hmm. or not common mm-hmm. at all, but that they couldn't be confused with a real person. And we were clear on that. And um, also we needed to make just a hundred percent sure that there was not a real company called Pyramid Assurity. Yeah. There is not. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad because I would not buy anything from that insurance company. Uh, but yeah, we did we did double check that there was not a, a real pyramid assurity. <laughs> oh, I am remembering now that I did make up actually a fake airline for a short story a few years ago, uh, and the airline is called Northern Latitudes. Ooh, <laughs> it does uh, <laughs> transatlantic service. Nice. Uh, are you also going to create one called I don't know Southern Longitudes? What would that be like? Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> a, up and down the South American, like, Andes Mountains routes. Who knows? <laughs> I also invented a company for, like, a luxury European automobile, and I didn't want to use BMW, so I used EMW, right. which is European Motor Works. Ooh. Fancy. Very fancy. <laughs> Very fancy. These are, yeah, it's fun these to name things. things. Mm-hmm. Well, it is and it's not. I mean, I remember when we were trying to name this show? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I put it out of my memory. That did not take months and months. You know, it took a while. I don't even know. I mean, did we land on the best name? Who knows? I don't know, but it was our first swing and I'm real proud of us. That's right. It was a name that no one else was using. Hot damn. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, do you have a talent crush you'd like to tell us about? (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha, segue. (laughs) Oh, look at you. Sure. Yeah. Um... I've been, so <laughs> I was uh, house-sitting last week for my friend mm-hmm. Alex, which really means cat-sitting, <laughs> um, for uh, Salvador and Georgia, her two cats who go a little bit squirrely if they don't have human contact for too long, so she and her family were away, so I hung out for the weekend. And the thing about staying at someone else's house is a lot of your responsibilities go away. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot to do sometimes but watch a bunch of Netflix. So sure. <laughs> um, I binged all of uh, an amazing new series called Unbelievable. Okay, um, I've heard of this. Yeah, it's a limited series. It's based on a true story. Um, and the tagline was uh, based on true events that no one believed. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, and it's um, it's a sexual assault story, but they handled it very, very well about a girl who, mm-hmm. uh, at 18, and she's a real person, um, was assaulted in her apartment, and the police didn't believe her, nobody believed her, and it turned out the same guy was doing this in other states. And just because mm-hmm. the circumstances, his M.O. was a little weird, 
and yeah. her recollection was, you know, in and out, as it would be in the middle of yeah. trauma. She wasn't believed until two female cops caught the case several years later and managed to connect the dots. Um, and that's that's more plot that I would normally tell, but the fact that it's a real story, I feel like that's sure. not really spoiling. Uh, but mm. I now have, if I didn't before, I now have a talent crush on every single person in this project. <laughs> They're amazing. Um, I don't I don't know if I'm saying her last name right. The the lead actress is Caitlin, either Deaver or Dever. D e v r. I know who that is, but I don't know the pronunciation either. I don't know, but uh, she plays Marie the. Mm-hmm. the main character and the first woman to report the assault who isn't believed. And uh, she, it, it's an incredible performance. She yeah. Give her all the, all the awards um, because it's, it's a really amazing portrayal. And then you've got um, Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver. Yes. And Merritt Weaver, I really only knew previously from the walking dead, um, oh, really? which I've stopped watching cause so much killing. Um, <laughs> but, and so many zombies, and so much it's walking. too much. It's too much. <laughs> so much walking dead. Um, but I did remember her from that. And of course, Tony Collette has been on my radar since, um, Muriel's wedding. Sure. So, uh, the two of them are just incredible and ev- everybody's great. Um, but the, just the way from the writers to the way it's handled, the way it's shot, the mm-hmm. performances, um, how respectful and honest they managed to be without ever sensationalizing any of it. If we're going to tell these stories, and I think there's an argument to be made that we need to because they are real things that happen to people. Yeah. Um, but if we're going to tell this kind of story, this is the way to tell it. And well, it's incredible. Good. Yeah. And then some people who showed up in, in smaller roles that I was just sort of happy to see. Lisa Lapira who I remember from, I mean, not that she hasn't, she's done many other things, but I particularly yeah. remember her from Huff as Oliver Platt's long-suffering assistant. <laughs> she okay. was wonderful in that. And Dale Dickey, who's one of those that ladies who shows up in everything um, <laughs> as a, as a, like a computer analyst, which is not what she usually plays, but um, <laughs> she was great. There were just, there were so many amazing roles for women and so many amazing performances. And, and even the people that like, I hated when I was watching it. I I hated the characters because the actors were doing such a good job. It's just across yeah. the board, exceptional work from everybody. Yeah, I like that feeling of this is a, an actor whose performances I normally enjoy, but for some reason I hate their character. Yeah, I'm like oh, yeah. you know what that is? Like that's a thing that's that them I, doing as a, a great job. Had to have the sophistication <laughs> to understand. Like that's an indicator of skill. Yeah. Yeah, you have to understand that when you hate a character, because mm-hmm. um, I know that sometimes it translates to real life, you know, actors sure. get yelled at on the street sometimes yeah. because they play someone that the audience doesn't like. And I implore people to remember that they're just doing a job and uh, you I'm, don't you don't hate that actor. I promise <laughs> you, you don't know them. You definitely don't hate them. Don't yell at them for what they're doing on TV. That's written. They have to do it. I remember a story of... Um, Giancarlo Esposito, the role that he played on Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. Watched that show. I can't remember if we ever talked about it, but he has talked about like after those episodes started to air, people would Uh like be visibly scared of him on the screen. Really? Like, you know, sort of, I don't know how to act it out on the podcast, but But that's okay because it's audio. Yes. (laughs) He could tell from the way people reacted to him that they recognized him from the show and did not want to like get on his bad side. 
Right. Like it's not it's not just them being starstruck. It's mm-hmm. them confusing him with Gus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do Although enjoy I, stories like that. I admit that I I for many years, until very recently, I was just creeped out by Tim Curry. I adore Tim Curry. I know he's sure. a great actor, but I found him creepy mm-hmm. because and I'm, I'm sure he's not, you know, I've seen him <laughs> interviewed and he does not, it's not that he comes across creepy, but it's just my first experiences of him were, first of all, um, as the butler Wadsworth in Clue, mm-hmm. which, well, it's a comedy when you see that movie and you're eight. <laughs> um, and also, spoiler, in at least one of the multiple endings, he did do it. Um, <laughs> there's something a little creepy about him which is also probably why he was cast in that role uh and then right on the heels of that he did the original adaptation of stephen king's it as the creepy clown oh really yeah yeah not a big stephen king fan so i did not know that neither am i but that i had seen Mm -hmm. so he was the original pennywise because it was 1990 and you know we all saw it was on television like it wasn't (laughs) i saw it again recently because they they did the it movies yeah um they did you know chapter one I don't know, a year or two ago. And then I just recently saw chapter two because um, it's filmed, part of it is filmed in my hometown of Oshawa, Ontario. So I have to watch that. And in fact, the big scary house, the it house is blocks from where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a vacant lot there that's always been there since I was a child. And that's where they've built this, this creepy house that they put up and then take down after. Um, And then the rest of, of part two anyway, and maybe part one, I should go back and watch it. The town of Derry is actually the town of Port Hope, Ontario. Okay. And I hadn't so much noticed that in chapter one, but in between chapters one and two, I had been visiting my family for the summer and my mom and dad and I took a day and went up to Port Hope, which is this beautiful, quaint little town. It's got a lovely theater. And we went to see the show that was playing at the theater and we walked around the town. And so I had a really good look at Port Hope in that day. And then a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting in the movie theater with my buddy David. And I real all of a sudden I went, oh, my God, I know that town. (laughs) This entire movie takes place in Port Hope. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, so, uh, but the original was, um, much tamer. I now realize it ran on network television. Yeah. Uh, but Tim Curry played the crown and that uh, clown and that creeped me out. And then over the years, he's occasionally just played a villain. He was quite memorably one of the serial killers on criminal minds. And he did a two parter, which is why I remember him. Like he was, (laughs) um, and so, and in between he did like, spam a lot and stuff like he's sure. a funny guy yeah and seems quite charming um and a few years ago had a had a stroke so is not um you know physically what he was mm-hmm. before oh and he was also in uh, the rocky horror picture show but yeah. that's a weird role and again when you see it as a child um that as an adult i no longer find him creepy but as a child <laughs> there were there was so much and yet yeah, it was sort of when i went back and watched after I saw It Chapter One in the theater recently, the new one, yeah. I went back because I just remembered finding the TV version so creepy. And I went back and watched it again. And it is it is not scary. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. that I mean, fear specifically, I think, can be a, a strong, like, obviously a very strong emotion. But that's something that sticks with you in a way yeah. that just enjoying something maybe doesn't quite as much. 
And the um, idea of it, of it yes. being scary stays in your head. So, and the difference between like watching Tim Curry play a creepy clown when I was 12 yeah. and then watching Tim Curry play a creepy crown, a clown, creepy crown, creepy clown <laughs> when I was 40 yeah. is just a vastly different experience. So, yeah, I yeah. would think so. <laughs> but yeah, in general, I've just never liked scary movies or anything. So like mm-hmm. probably the most not even traumatizing, but like formative scary mm-hmm. sequence in a movie would be like the raptor hunt in the kitchen of the first Jurassic Park movie. Oh yes. When Tim and Lex are trying to yes. hide from the velociraptors. And like, that is scary. That's definitely a thing that got to me to the point where uh, yeah. I remember the, <laughs> when I, that movie, I guess, I guess it was 93 that that came out. So I would have been 10. That sounds right. And yeah. So the, that was the year that I started closing my bedroom door when I went to sleep because oh, yes. otherwise the way my bed used to be, it faced the door. And so I would look down <laughs> the hallway to the elbow bend in the hallway and imagine a velociraptor putting their claws <laughs> on the edge of it and like peering around <laughs> and, like when you're I'm sleepy sorry. and like, you know, sl- slipping in oh, and out yeah. of whatever. I like, don't mean to laugh at your fear. No, but I'm, it's funny. <laughs> I'm totally with you. It's definitely the kind yeah. of thing that even as 10, 11, 12, year old you're sort of like okay obviously those aren't real i've seen all the behind mm-hmm. the scenes i know they're animatronic i know they're puppets i know that some of it's yeah. cgi like also they're extinct <laughs> absolutely but even i mean come on we know the premise <laughs> of the movie <laughs> yes we do <laughs> um and so like in the daylight things are very you experience ideas of things very differently than even at night yes but yeah that's yeah that that's probably the the biggest thing Although the other the other thing that I'm hesitant to admit, but I've never liked um, Greys, the little alien guys. Oh yes, the big eyes like that's a thing oh, yeah. that, that definitely is a button for me. Huh. So like you Those know the end of close encounters me. or you know that sort of flavor. Oh yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. I I am. <laughs> there's not much that creeps me out, but I, I mean there is, but it's I like it's more the stuff that I really resist is like blood and gore. I don't mind yeah. being scared in good fun. I don't like being grossed out and I don't like um violence for the sake of violence. Yeah. Like that, I just it's not my thing. But I also remember being quite terrified by Howard the Duck for some reason. Reasonable. Entirely reasonable. Is it? Okay. Cause I, I will not watch that movie again. Uh, what you should do <laughs> I was so scared. is go listen to the How Did This Get Made episode. I believe the guest was Kristen Schaal. And <gasps> they broke down everything in that movie, including why one of the ducks on the duck planet in the beginning of the movie has uh-huh. breasts. Oh, okay. There's a lady duck who has boobs. I have no memory of that. Presumably this species is still avian, which means they're yeah. egg layers, and none of it makes sense, and they really... Yeah, they, 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 they would they, not have boobs they, the way that a human would. They did their best to explain it. <laughs> okay. I remember, what I remember is something about a duck, probably Howard, opening his mouth and something sort of shooting out. And I don't even know. Yeah, I have a vague I just remember, that. like, I think I, I think I yelled and ran out of the room and just refused to watch the rest of the movie. The third act definitely goes off the rails. But, like, the biggest thing, the biggest problem with that movie is, like, who, why did Leah Thompson do this? Like, come on. Uh, I mean... I don't know. Maybe she had a mortgage to pay. I mean, that's... I know. It's the thing. Honestly, that's job. always the first thing that crosses my mind whenever I think, oh, that poor actor, why did he do this? I think, well, well especially probably, when probably they hadn't worked in a while. At someone who 
has like become iconic later is like yes. no, they were journeymen like they were she professionals was, yeah they were doing a job they were yep. making rent you know yeah making mortgage payments whatever it is like we always talk about yeah they I weren't mean, that's yet the person who back to the future but still yeah she wasn't. She hadn't done Caroline in the City yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that actually would have been after the first Back to the Future, but before the other two, because it was like '86, I think. When they Howard the Duck, the yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, Why but just post that? Back to the Future, mm-hmm. yeah, she, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, I mean, I definitely was much more of a Frady cat as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and now I'm, I'm less. And I was, I, I, I went through a real phase in teenagerhood of liking thrillers. Okay. But a thriller and a horror movie are two different things. Of course. Um, so horror was never my bag and still really isn't. I'll watch the odd one here and mm. there, partly because it's a part of our culture. Yeah. Um, and just to be conversant in those things like the Halloween movies and, yeah, and stuff yeah, that yeah. has sort of a like it's a cultural moment. And that that was the reasoning behind seeing it yeah. as well. Um, but generally horror movie wise, like it's hard to get me to watch anything scarier than scream, which is supposed to be a parody of horror movies. And it is mm-hmm. scary enough for me. Like I don't, the parody is fine. I don't need to go beyond that. Um, but thrillers for some reason, I think it's probably just the teenage hormone adrenaline, you know, thing is yeah. Yeah. we watch things that, that help us deal with those feelings. Sure. Well, and also just sort of like experimenting and finding out where the line is for your particular experience of the world. Yeah. And I mean, one of the ones that I watched several times and that I saw it again recently because it came out on iTunes and it's so tame, but it's, uh, well, our, our friend Marley Matlin mm-hmm. um, was in a movie called Hear No Evil Okay, back around, I'm going to say around 92 because I can't be bothered to look it up. Um <laughs> And it was a it was a basically a reimagining of a movie that Audrey Hepburn had done that I think is called Wait Until Dark. Okay. Um, in the Audrey Hepburn version, the woman is blind. In Hear No Evil, obviously, the woman is deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing, nothing gory ever happens. It's mostly just. Uh, it's kind. Of, it's a kind of a mystery story. Like she she's a personal trainer, and one of her clients is a bit of a crook and he has stolen something. Um, he's stolen some sort of valuable coin. Never okay. understood what that was about, which he has <laughs> hidden. Here's how young, how long ago this was. He's hidden it in her pager. What? She has beeper because those vibrate, right? And she can use it like any. So she's got a pager and he hides it like in where the battery goes of her pager. And somehow the pager continues to work. And she doesn't know she has this thing. Hmm. And the whole movie is him and whoever's after him coming after her trying to get this thing back while she falls in love with D.B. Sweeney. And I don't remember all that much of the plot. I do remember that like the tip top bad guy is Martin Sheen, which is just weird (laughs) when you go back and watch. It's like, but you're a nice man. You're President Bartlett. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Um, But, you know, there's nothing. Nobody gets hurt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing is super gory. Nothing is gory at all. I don't think there's really any any blood in the movie like it's really just an adrenaline thrill ride yeah it's really just we're all chasing around after this stupid coin and mm-hmm. if only she knew she had it she would hand it back and this would be over of course like the the suspense is like will she ever figure out she has this thing because no one who knows her <laughs> knows she has it except the guy who hid it in her pager um and oh i mean boy. i think i think the climax happens in there is some sort of it's been a while. Some sort of like cabin retreat. 
I don't know, like the whole the whole thing comes to a head in a storage room full of kites or something. <laughs> like it's there's wow. nothing thrill with the tension of a good kite race. Yeah, I mean it's it's a better movie than I'm making it sound, but it's not <laughs> high art or anything. Um, but you know that was the kind of thing, like that kind of thriller. But no one's running around stabbing anybody. You know. Yeah, I yeah. I do say I am compelled by the idea of Martin Sheen as a villain because he's, he's quite good at it one of those guys who I don't think we talked about this, but uh, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, the James Bonding podcast. Oh, yeah. And they had done basically like, a, like one does with fantasy football or fantasy baseball. They were making their own James Bond movies. Oh, yeah. And somebody in the group picked their Bond villain to be Tom Hanks. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? That's fucking amazing. That's amazing. Because nobody would expect him to be like no. evil in the mold of a classic That's Bond villain. That's brilliant. Has of, he ever know, even no, played Mr. a No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Like there's yeah. no, he really does not. I mean, there are definitely movies where he's not the protagonist. You know, you can yeah. go back and see like, okay, he's making bad decisions or, you know, just not being the greatest person or like a league of their own. You know, he's kind of antagonistic through a lot of it. Yeah, well, because the, but, the I mean, protagonist in that is Gina Davis. Yeah, exactly. But or like, should I no say crying, Donnie Hansen? <laughs> no crying in baseball. Like, when that's the meanest oh. thing you ever say to someone, that's not the most <laughs> villainous career. No, I love that movie so much. Well, and he's not... A, like, Jimmy Dugan isn't meant to be a villain. Well, exactly, he's but that's just, my point. It's like, that's the he's worst just a thing drunk. we can he's pull. A, he's a cranky, somewhat well-meaning drunk who's been... Dragged yeah. out of drunken semi-retirement to coach this baseball team that he has no interest in coaching because oh no girls. Of course, um, I love that movie so much. I could do a whole episode on it. And it has, <laughs> in a strange way, reminded me that I recently uh, watched Thelma and Louise for the first mm-hmm. time in probably a decade. For the first. Oh, I thought you were going to say the first. Not time the first time. Stop. No, God, no, no. But it's probably been a good ten years, and we we got to do a Gina Davis episode someday. Sure, I was justifiably surprised to hear that yeah. you had never seen that oh. movie. Which yeah, no. There's <laughs> It's, it's it's impossible to be a Gen X woman and not have seen that movie. That movie is, yeah, it came out, it's around the same time as A League of Their Own. It's either mm-hmm. just before or just after. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what order they went. I think it's just before, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, um, for folks our age, seeing like a Tom Hanks or a Martin Sheen, who are these sort of like, obviously they're not the exact same age, but they're in no, our no. sort of... Mm-hmm parents-ish generation, you know, much older than us. And to Mm -hmm. see them who ordinarily play these really warm, caring, maybe fatherly characters, Mm -hmm. like really do a blood-spitting, scenery-chewing villain, I would absolutely love. Especially Tom Hanks, because he's literally playing Mr. Rogers this year. He really is. (laughs) And you know what? He is old enough to be our dad, Mm -hmm. um, because his son Colin is right around my age. Because like right in between us, yeah. 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 I think he's just, he's slightly younger than I am, Mm -hmm. but slightly like a year or something. I think Mm -hmm. he might be a year older. I'd have to look it up, but yeah. yeah. And Martin Sheen is then, you know, older than Hanks. Yeah, of course. But we've definitely talked about this before of like wanting to see performers do things that they're normally not known for. So this is well trod ground on this podcast for sure. Yes. I don't know that I want to see Tom Hanks play a bad guy though. At the end of the day. I so want to. I so want to. There have been, there's been, well, I get, you know, him playing a bad guy, fine. Him being a bad guy, I couldn't take. Mm-hmm. Too many people have uh, turned out to be horrible in the last couple oh, of well, years. Oh, yes, obviously. And if Tom Hanks ever turns out to be horrible, I am jumping off the cliff. <laughs> no, like I am done. all within I'm the done. confines of fiction. <laughs> Don't take away my Tom Hanks. <laughs> Title for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect, write it down. 
Um, so we've talked about one of my talent crushes and then gone off on many tangents. Do you oh, have yeah. one that you want to talk about? I, I know have, you've got a list. As per usual, I have a bunch. Um, Chris always has a list. I'm going to name check a couple and then we can decide what we want to settle on to actually discuss in detail. Cause, okay. uh, the first one I have is I just want to, cause we talked on about bond a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the James Bond novels, which are the basis of the James Bond character by Ian Fleming. He started writing them mm-hmm. in the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, I read the first one of those, which is Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to confirm for everyone that it is terrible and do not read it. <laughs> oh, good. I have not read any Bond novels. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who goes back to the, like, the Connery era movies and thinks like, gosh, these are a little misogynistic and maybe racist. And yeah, technically they're made in the early 60s. And mm-hmm. I guess they're the product of their time. Like... Mm you you don't know what you're in for like I, i'm gonna the, I, I mean they kept making them into the well, they're still making them i don't well, know if they've still gotten making, any less sexist because i stopped watching them they definitely have but the okay. i mean there's been an evolution and they're not perfect mm. by any means and that's a much longer conversation but the books themselves they're uh, pardon me the one book that i have read so far <laughs> and has caused me not to go read the rest which is what i was planning <laughs> to do um <laughs> It is it is actively terrible. So if anybody out there was thinking, <laughs> I, sorry, I might actively terrible to, is a wonderful turn of phrase. <laughs> I might that made want me so to happy. <laughs> look into these Bond books that people keep talking about. Like, there's no literary merit to exploring them. They're okay. they have sort of a pulpy quality to them and Mm -hmm. the reason that the bond movies ever got made and i'm sure was a combination of things but the sort of popular lore is that uh, john f kennedy either when he had just become president or during the campaign somewhere around 1960 was Mm -hmm. interviewed in playboy magazine and asked you know the kinds of things that we ask each other what are you into Mm -hmm. and he said oh you know here's my big summer read are these spy novels by ian fleming (laughs) And in the context of like what we know about JFK and Marilyn and yeah, again, yeah, problematic no, things about that time, <laughs> these things kind of match up. But John F. Yeah. Kennedy telling Americans like, I really like these books is what put Ian Fleming on the map in uh, the States. Oh, yes. Let's and make what, some movies that will make the president happy. Well, not, not literally <laughs> that, but like be, then the book started to sell. And so then yeah. people thought there would be a market for because I think um, Cubby Broccoli maybe knew about the books before or something but the, mm. the guys who came up with the bond character for the screen like it yeah. was that interview with jack kennedy that popularized the idea of this franchise and so wow the history is fun but <laughs> a button <laughs> yeah, on a history friend of mine actually used to live on ian fleming crescent <laughs> well that's fun he's got a street named after him in whitby ontario well um, there you go um, but let's talk about good things. Um, okay. I will I, say my favorite oh, Bond please. thing is a non-Bond Bond thing, mm-hmm. which is um, it's that Pierce Brosnan, Rene Russo movie. The Thomas Crown Affair. The Thomas Crown Affair. The Yeah, that is my favorite. Because I, I did, of the Bonds, I quite liked Pierce Brosnan yeah. as Bond. If, like, if, I'm, if I'm going to endure Bond, mm-hmm. I liked him as Bond, but I liked him better in The Thomas Crown Affair. Yes, that is yeah. a, a movie that is generally considered to be his best Bond movie. 
Yes. Well, <laughs> and because the female character has agency in her own plot line. And, like, there's mm. no Bond girl in that movie. Well, it's, it's a two-hander you know? is really what it is. It is. And she she actually has a whole storyline and agency yeah. and thoughts of her own. It's, it's really very good. I definitely think there's an argument to be made that she is, like, from a story structure perspective, she's the mm-hmm. protagonist. Yes. Yeah, I think you can make that argument. mysterious and, like, keeps stuff from her. And we're mm-hmm. following along with her level of knowledge of mm-hmm. what's happening. And like the reveals in the third act is him revealing stuff to her and Mm -hmm. us, the audience simultaneously. So like, yeah, I think that you almost would call it, I can't remember the character name, but it's the Rene Russo affair. (laughs) Yeah. I can't remember her name either, which is terrible. I watched Mm -hmm. it like a year and a half ago. Um, but I can't remember the character's name. Okay. So quick rapid fire. Um, yeah. Uh, I watched the new season of glow, which you probably, (gasps) So good. Uh, and Gina Davis watched, again. I know. Let's get back to that in a second. I that just want to wrap so a couple of these off because I like to okay. name check things even if we don't dig too deeply yeah, yeah. into them. Yeah, I have a couple more to say. Absolutely. I also yeah. just finished uh, Between Two Ferns, the movie, which just came out last night. Have not seen it yet, but delighted by the knowledge, and I haven't tracked down the clip yet, but delighted by the knowledge that Lauren Lapkus was interviewed on Canadian television by an <laughs> oh, interviewer right. who apparently thought she was Kristen Schaal. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, I'm looking for that clip because yeah. <laughs> I really want to see it. And I was at work when it happened. <laughs> I also want to um, uh, endorse. I don't know. That was the word that popped into my head, but that's not the right word. Uh, mm-hmm. A series called The Boys on Amazon, which is a I've heard sort good of, things. Sort of an exploration of like superheroes and superhero mythos, and the idea mm-hmm. of like if powered people existed in the world, what would they really be like? It mm. reminded me a lot of Watchmen, not so much the new series, which hasn't aired yet as we're recording this, or the movie, but the actual mm. comic book, you know, sort of talking about what powered people would really be like, mm. as opposed to your sort of classical golden age, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider Man, right. sort of, you know truth, justice in the American way with great mm-hmm. power comes great responsibility. There's a lot of virtue in comics <laughs> that isn't yeah. necessarily represented in the real world. And I think that the boys sort of perfectly gives you, yeah, sometimes people with powers, like their powers would make mm-hmm. them a goddamn sociopath. Like there's just no way around that. You're reminding me of <laughs> my, my favorite ever with great power comes great responsibility speech is and we this movie's been talked about before i think in our judy greer episode Mm -hmm. it's in a little independent film called the specials oh yeah and i I think it's thomas hayden church Mm -hmm. gives this speech to his uh table i want it to be a round table but it's not it's It's a rectangular table but he gives his with great power comes great responsibility speech to his table of sort of you know seventh tier superheroes yeah and it's it's very very funny and it's probably online if we can link to it in the show notes because it's, it's ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do remember I love that, that movie so much. And if we ever get Paget Brewster on the show, I'll make her talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask her to talk about it. Pretty please. We love you, Paget. <laughs> yes, we do. And she knows that. And there's no way she's listening to this. But if you are, yes, Paget, you know, I love you. Please tell me everything about the specials. <sighs> okay. Last anyway. item on my, on my lightning round list is uh, I finally got around to watching Fleabag. Which oh yes, goddamn! First of all, I did not know they so were like half-hour episodes, and I wish I'd known oh, that because yeah. I would have gotten to it way earlier. Because they're oh yeah, nice and short, six episode, half hour. I started the first episode in I don't know, like an evening on a Saturday evening, just thinking, mm-hmm. you know what, I got a couple of minutes, let me just check out what this thing is, and within twelve hours, I was done. <laughs> You've binged the whole thing because <laughs> I just it is so compelling. Yeah, did you see both seasons? Oh yeah, the whole thing. 
the whole thing. Did you spot the lady who looks just like me? Nope. I don't know what, what you're talking about. <laughs> Go back to my Instagram. Okay. Season two, the wedding episode. There's a lady who I did a double take. Like, I do not remember being on Fleabag. I vaguely remember seeing that I on Instagram, but I don't remember yeah. seeing it in the show. Is she, but, well, she might not catch your eye in the same way she caught my eye because it was like, well, I have a doppelganger in Britain. I don't know who she is. If anyone knows who she is, please <laughs> tell me. It's killing me. But I got through that series and was like emotionally exhausted. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I was just mm-hmm. with it the entire time. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Do we want to spoil certain elements of it if you want to dig into it? I think it's too new. Okay. Like, yeah, I do want to, but I also feel like I just got to it not that long ago. You just finished it. I feel like it's... Okay. And she's doing it on stage again. Yeah, I'd heard that. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is, is doing it mm-hmm. on stage again. It's being broadcast to theaters, so I don't... I okay. want to talk about it, but also I don't want to spoil it for people. So maybe an episode or two down the line. Okay, like, so no Mark spoilers. Mark we revisit that. Yeah. I will just say I love, in general, like we talked about on the Office episode, I love the breaking the fourth wall thing when characters talk to the camera. And the specific use of yeah. it that she makes is tremendous. I love it in Fleabag. Yeah. I hated it in House of Cards. Yeah. yeah uh, I liked it in, and I think we've talked about it in The Office and mm-hmm. Parks and Rec. You know, when, when there's a documentary conceit, I'm fine with it. Um, most of the rest of the time, I hate it. In Fleabag, I loved it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll have to talk about that offline. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I loved it so much. <laughs> it's it's tremendous. And if anybody's yeah. been... Uh, I'll give the opposite of what I just said about uh, Ian Fleming. Uh, if mm. you've been holding off, please do enjoy. <laughs> yes. Go watch Fleabag. All of it. So good. Uh, did you want to circle back to Glow? Sure, yeah. Uh, Gina fucking Davis, man. She Gina was amazing. Davis, man. Um, yeah, it's, I wish they'd uh, had her around a little more, actually. Yeah. But I just, you know, again, as being the age I am and having, you know, seen A League of Their Own when it came out and I was 14, and, mm-hmm. like, Gina Davis holds a special place in my heart. So I like her very much. Um, also, just what she does outside of acting with her uh, center on gender equality. Mm-hmm. And if she can see it, she can be it. And, and you know, reminding us all that when there's a crowd on screen and it's 17% of women, we're sending... Yeah. Or there's 17% women in any, any crowd scene, even if it's animated, we're sending the message that women don't gather and that's ludicrous and how easy it is to change these things. And she's done... I think um, she deserves some credit for the slow but steady change we are seeing in the industry. Yeah. Um, around, you know, ha- seeing, seeing more women, seeing more different kinds of women... Um, seeing a few gender flipped characters here and there. Like we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. And I think she was one of the people, not certainly not the only one, um, but one of the people who early on called a lot of attention to that and, and put her platform to good use. And it's continuing to do that. The stats that the Institute turns out are sometimes like just flabbergasting. The idea is so depressing crowd scenes in an animated show or whatever. It's like, why would you not have them be? Why well, just the because you're basing them on every just, other crowd scene you've ever seen, and every other crowd scene you've ever seen has it. been seventeen percent women. Yeah, um, yeah. But the and idea the, of like hurting extras or whatever for mm-hmm. like a big live action scene, and like I would, it would. Uh, it seems to me that you'd have to go out of your way for it to not just be an even mix of the population walking around no, the streets. But because, apparently, that's not how it works. Because. For a very long time now, everything has been 
controlled by men and written and produced by men. And if you watch yeah. anything written by a man, the vast majority of the time, there is one woman. Yeah. All the characters are men. And then there's one woman and she's, I'm sorry, very poorly written because <laughs> men don't see women as full humans a lot of the time. Yeah. It's a broad generalization, but, you know, we are seen as women or objects first and people second. And so I can't tell you how many things I auditioned for written by men where my character yeah. doesn't even have a name. Yeah. The woman, the girl that like it's it's nuts. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's pointing that out. And one of the things one of the very early things that the Gina Davis Center on Gender Equality did was point out all you have to do because it's. It's, it is subconscious or mm -hmm. unconscious on the part of the people doing it. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't think most of us are sitting around thinking it's malicious that men don't write women well yeah. or, or forget to write us entirely, which happens all the time where there just are no women in something. That happens a lot. Yeah. Um, and I say that as someone who wrote a show that has no men in it, but that was 100% <laughs> on purpose. Um, yeah. yeah, like that was, we were making a statement. But all, all she did was point out, you know, all you have to do is say a crowd gathers, that is half women. Yeah. And now it's in the text and now casting will, will bring in 50% women and now we have solved the problem and, and how easy it is to solve that problem on the page and on the screen. And because art and life reflect each other, mm -hmm. once we start seeing things, which is the whole if she can see it, she can be it thing. If you've never seen a female doctor, it doesn't occur to you that you can be one necessarily. Yeah. So once once you start seeing that as the norm, once you start seeing women in those positions, once you start seeing 50% women and a mix of ethnicities and races that actually reflect our world, like once you start seeing that on screen, you start to expect it and then it will naturally go that way it's the only place that we could fix gender equality overnight and racial equality overnight we can do it <laughs> yeah. overnight in entertainment it's going to take longer in the real world but we can we can fix it overnight on the screen Absolutely. if we want to enough and that's a thing that like we definitely talked about this before on and offline but the mm -hmm. demographically speaking i'll just say this again to people who may be listening who are similar yeah. to me uh ours is to listen and this is the kind of stuff you learn when you listen, because mm -hmm. there's lots of occasions. It happens to me probably a couple times a day on Twitter where I mm -hmm. see something and I have a reaction to it and then see somebody else comment on it and they have a reaction to it that never would have occurred to me. Mm. And I like to think that if I can internalize some of that stuff, it'll make me better at the things that I make. Might make me a better writer to mm. listen to people who have different life experience than me. Yeah. And all writers have blind spots. Too. Absolutely. You know, it's not to say that it's only white men who have those mm -hmm. blind spots. We all do. Sure, I do. Sure. Everybody does. Um, but it's, I think what it is, is that most people are aware that they have blind spots. Yeah. And there's the, in, and again, in general, hashtag not all men I know. <laughs> in general, white men are less aware of their blind spots. And much more sensitive, as we see time and time again in the news, about being like having those things pointed out. It's like, hey, you know, yes. you might want to think of X, Y, Z. What the fuck did you just say to me? Like, yes, that hashtag seems to masculinity be, so fragile. <laughs> that seems to be the default response. And like more than anything, it really is. It's why wild, don't we just man. go ahead and let that change? Yeah. You know, I'm a comedian. I'm pushing boundaries. Like, mm, no, you're down. not. Just sit down. Yeah. 
Well, he's fired, so. <laughs> I don't even need to get any further into no, that. No, no, no. We don't he, even have to say his name, but he's fired and it's all scandal, fine. But yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, um, but let's you actually, want to talk about Glow. Let's talk about Glow. Let's actually talk about Glow. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a show that doesn't hurt for women on screen. <laughs> no, it makes me so happy. Not only in terms of the number of women, but in terms of the diversity of women. Mm-hmm. Um, all different ages, shapes, body types, mm-hmm. races, ethnicities. I love it. I love it. It's it's actually reflective of, you know, the diversity of women that exist in the world. Um, and then the character development that we see in some of them. I mean, I think Sh- Sheila the She-Wolf made me so happy yes. this year. I really had wondered how long they were going to keep that up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um... It is a little bit sticky, but I do have to wonder... Because I, I have gone out of my way to not look into how historically accurate this may be. Like, how many of these people may have specifically existed. I know oh, like, are they based on existed. real? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't looked at... Uh, the show certainly existed. Glow was a real thing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I guess my I have point was, not... I didn't want to know the biographies of any of the people involved. No. Uh, I have not gone back and looked at whether any of these characters are based on real characters who existed. I suspect yeah. that some of them are, especially the more stereotypical among them. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the ones who are welfare queen and fortune cookie and who are, who are real stereotypes. I mean, they all are, but I suspect that some of that is historically accurate, especially given the time period. And, and, and I respect glow so much for showing us why that was problematic. If I mean, we should know by now, but for, (laughs) for dealing with it and dealing with it in real time and showing the, the characters within the show, so glow being the show within a show yeah, showing exactly. our characters as their, as themselves mm-hmm. dealing with how they sometimes feel about what they're expected to wear and who they're expected to play. And, you know, the young woman whose character is always a terrorist, mm-hmm. you know, because she's, I don't, actually don't know, but she, <laughs> I can't oh, remember the character's name. I don't remember you know if they I ever mean? actually said where she was from. But where yeah. she's from, but she's, you know. The Sam character just kind of painted her with, like, you're brownish, so exactly. you're this kind of she's, person. She's Arab, or she's Iranian, or she's Iraqi. We don't yeah. we don't really know. I mean, Persian, she's American. Indian, They're all American. Pakistani something. Probably Persian, I think. Mm-hmm. But, but f- for whatever reason, you know, because of what she looks like, despite just being a normal American girl, yeah. she's playing a wrestling character who is a terrorist. Well, and that's why I loved, especially the like switcheroo episode. Yeah. That was fantastic. If for no other reason, than it like sort of reinvigorated the characters, Mm -hmm. um, excitement to play characters in the show within a show. (laughs) Yeah. But then also, you know, they dealt with, I really, I really liked how they dealt with, when they swapped characters and suddenly you had a white girl portraying an Asian character who yes. even when portrayed by an Asian woman was problematic enough. Uh-huh. Um, but then to have a white person do it mm-hmm. and to have them have to deal with, is that what you think I sound like? Is that yeah. what you, you know, was, I, I thought it was really well done and I thought it was a, an interesting and, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like productive way to address a conversation on race and true to the time period because yeah. we are in the eighties. Yeah. So 
Yeah. But that scene where they talked about it, I guess it was uh, when they went camping. Is what yeah. I'm trying to remember when they. Yeah, sort of so all it carried the fire, over from just that she, episode. She tells her story of like, mm-hmm. this is where I come from and this is yeah. what all this means to me. And it was like, mm-hmm. they really slammed the brakes on for a show that's sort of enters the world as nominally a comedy. It's like, oh, no, we're yeah. actually going to talk about some shit now. Like, buckle the fuck up. This but is they happening. always have, which yeah, I think oh, is, is nice. I mean, but I, it's funny I guess, to me that we have to classify things as comedy or drama, but we still oh, do. Absolutely, yeah. And glow it to me is absolutely, and I don't I don't love the word, but it, it works. It's absolutely a dramedy. Yeah. And I, what I meant to say was that they pulled it off really well, which mm-hmm. is you sort of don't notice that this is a show that ordinarily is a little bit bigger, a little bit broader. They yeah. wrote that episode in such a way that they're really drilling down into the characters and their relationships and their motivations mm-hmm. and their values and their feelings and their experience. Yeah. And I'm right there with them the whole time. Well, they have this incredibly strong cast, which you need yeah. all the time. I mean, especially in comedy, you need a strong cast because I will tell you as an actor, it's a little easier to cheat in drama. <laughs> um, not that you should, but it's you can, you can get away with things a little bit in drama that you can't in comedy. Comedy is harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need generally strong actors because for something to be funny to the audience, it has to be absolutely real to the person portraying it. And I remember I learned that. I think I learned that watching Helen Hunt on Mad About You (laughs) really like how, you know, sort of how far down Jamie would spiral on (laughs) whatever it was she was on about Yeah, and how funny it was as an audience member and how you could tell that, for Jamie, the character, and for Helen Hunt, the actress, it was absolutely real, and it only worked because she was doing it. She yeah. went there, and that made it hilarious. And I, I think she's probably the actor who taught me that lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, but Glow is full of that. Yeah. It's just full of that. And then every once in a while, they will just stop you and go completely dramatic, like they did mm. this time, or like they did last season when... Um, Alison Bree's character and Betty Gilpin's character were fighting and it's, it's antagonistic and it's, they're just having a fight until one of them breaks the other one's leg on yeah. purpose in the ring. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we're in a different tone of show mm-hmm. and they handle that. This show handles those shifts beautifully. And that's the power of a dramedy as opposed to yes. something that has to be like, follow the rules of one side of that or the other. Yeah, and I, I will say, I think Alison uh, Brie is brilliant. I mean, She's I fantastic. always did, but if, if you've only seen Alison Brie on Community as Annie, mm-hmm. um, first of all, watch her do anything else and marvel at what an amazing <laughs> performance that was. But that, please go see her do Glow. Yeah. Because it's, um, it's completely different. Like, there's no Annie in Ruth. Yeah. Well, um, the way I want to phrase this... it's just an incredible performance. Absolutely. It might be a little bit patronizing, so I, I don't mean it that way, but just to say, I was really impressed with her because I the first exposure that I had to her was on Community and also on mm-hmm. Mad Men. I think it was the same yes. year. And so to watch her do both of those roles and, you know, mm-hmm. Thursday night, Sunday night, Thursday night, Sunday night, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it was. Like, Oh, I never I watched remember... Mad Men in real time, so that's interesting. I, yeah. I watched it on Netflix, so I saw those... I definitely saw her as Annie on Community way before I saw her yeah. in Mad Men. But I remember seeing that and just being very, appreciating her skill and her talents mm-hmm. to be able to do 
you know, very different kinds of roles. And obviously yeah. they're not filming the way I'm watching them, not literally going back right. and forth. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, sometimes someone's doing two shows maybe, at once. Maybe. Sometimes but they I, are. I think that's, as we keep coming back to, it's, it's awesome to see really skilled people bounce around and show off the breadth of what they can do. Well, and I, I think it, I think it does help the audience to see what they can do. Because yeah, one thing that I notice, especially when someone's on a long running show, like Allison was on mm-hmm. Community, they get so identified with that character. Yeah. And people forget that that's only one aspect of what they can do. Yeah. And sometimes you just don't, I mean, I, you know, we all run into this with casting, that casting doesn't know you can do something until they've seen you do it, which is a problem when you're trying to get cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. until you get the opportunity to do the thing in a way that they can see, I mean, they're not coming to your acting class. They don't know. <laughs> So until they decide from your photo that maybe you can do this, you don't get a shot. Or if you've done something high profile, and I, you know, I don't know Alison Bree's story. I'm not saying this is her experience, but Mm -hmm. to take something like that as an example, where someone has spent a bunch of time on one show and now they're well known and they're a bit of a name for this one thing they do, they're more likely to get a shot at doing something else. And that's when you get to see them. I mean, I admit to being quite surprised by, um, Alexis Bledel when she showed up on The Handmaid's Tale because I really knew her as Rory from Gilmore Girls and that was a a lovely performance but it's also pretty well known I think that she didn't have any acting training that she learned on the job Um, she also did Mad Men (laughs) in a a character that was uh, more adult but not necessarily all that different but then um, I mean I was and, and like you, I don't mean to sound patronizing, like it yeah. shouldn't be a surprise that she can do this. But, of course. you know, seeing her on The Handmaid's Tale and seeing a completely different side of her and, and no hint of Rory in it. And like it was a bit of a revelation to me of like, oh, wow, she's really I didn't know she could do that. And yeah. I didn't. She's done other stuff. Much of it, I assume I have not seen. <laughs> um, so that's on me also, as I always I think maybe because I am an actor, I'm I'm always willing to take responsibility for, oh, I didn't know she could do that, not because she hasn't done it, but yeah. because I hadn't seen it. And um and so it's it's a revelation to me, but I'm always happy about it. <laughs> and know? I think that's sort of like not to moralize, but like that's the moral of the story of this conversation is like people are probably more capable than you might think. Just all, yeah. All the time, even outside of this context. <laughs> I like to think that anyone who's done seven years acting all day, every day, 16 sure, yeah. hours a day, eight to 10 months a year mm-hmm. for seven years has figured out how to act, you know? <laughs> and I would say 98% of the time that's true. There yeah. are some people out there making quite a living who are not good actors, but, but the vast majority, I think, are... are <laughs> I'm not naming anyone. It's no one who's ever been mentioned on this podcast, I'm sure. Um, Probably true. This is not the anti-talent crush show. We don't we don't talk about what we don't like. Um, Can you <laughs> imagine even like. wanting to do like a hate watch podcast? Fuck off. Oh, I'm sure it exists. And I don't ever want to listen to it. What are you doing? Get a hobby. I don't know. Uh, <sighs> Uh, <laughs> speaking of getting hobbies, no, there's yes. no, there's no transition there. Uh, I was just noticing the time. <laughs> oh, how long have we been going? I've not been looking at the time at all. Oh dear. <laughs> Is there anything you super want to touch on before we start to wrap it up? <laughs> uh, let me just take a, a quick notes, look at my, uh, um, notes, 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 notes. Uh, yeah. I just, I have windows. <laughs> 
I have Windows instead of Notes. Um, oh, something I just, I actually just finished uh, mm-hmm. earlier today that I've I've been enjoying is a show called Nobody's. Okay. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. And it is, um, it's written by three, uh, three of these sort of lesser known members of the Groundlings. All right. And they're playing heightened versions of themselves. So their names are Hugh Davidson, Larry Dorff, and Rachel Ramress. Okay. And the show is executive produced by Melissa McCarthy and Ben Falcone, her husband. Oh, all right. And almost, not everybody, but almost everybody on this show is playing a heightened version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where occasionally it's confusing because you have to kind of check, like, oh, is that person playing themselves or are they playing somebody else? <laughs> because every once in a while there's someone um, that, you know, it, like an actor that you yeah. recognize, yeah. but they're not, like one of the kids in the hall shows up, but he's not playing himself. <laughs> this makes me think of Between Two Friends again because it very much has that relationship to its cast. Yeah, I think it's kind of in that in that mm-hmm. vein. And there are some super fun people, um, who show up on it. Like Stephanie Courtney made me oh, so right. happy by yeah. showing up, um, for listeners who may not recognize that name. You may know her as Flo from the progressive insurance commercials. Or as herself, a really good improviser on Spontaneation. Excellent improviser. If you listen to Spontaneation, then yes, you definitely know Stephanie from that. Um, and from, she's done a bunch of other stuff, but she's probably mm-hmm. most recognizable as Flo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it made me very happy when she showed up. A lot of the groundlings show up as themselves. Um, but these guys play themselves as TV writers who have been writing for an animated children's show called uh, The Fartlemans. And yes, that's why. Um, who are trying to get out of children's animation, which is notoriously hard to get out okay. of as a writer, and into sitcom or feature or anything. So they've written a feature uh, called Mr. First Lady and they are sort of friends with Melissa McCarthy because they went through Groundlings at the same time that she did and so they want to pitch it to have, you know, Melissa play the the president president and possibly have Ben or someone else play Mr. First Lady. And basically it it's, it's a bit of a morality tale on maybe don't use your friends. Because okay. over the next two seasons, many, many things just come crashing down <laughs> on them. <laughs> to great comedic effect, I'm sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. It was recommended to me by um, a friend of mine that I had coffee with a couple of weeks ago, and I'd never heard of it. And she said, you've got to watch this. It's on Amazon Prime, and I currently have a free trial of Amazon Prime um, <laughs> that I'm trying to make the most of. So I did watch it, and um, it's, it's a lot of fun. It seems to, I don't see that a third season is happening, but I also don't see that it's not happening. Um, yeah, well. Like, it doesn't appear to be canceled, but also I haven't seen a third season announced, so I don't know, but I would encourage people to, to check that out. It's pretty fun. Limbo. Well, shows within shows rarely actually get made, but I would absolutely watch a movie about President Melissa McCarthy. Well, one of the things that happens in season one is that This is a bit of a spoiler, so if you don't want to hear it, skip ahead. Um, You know, skip ahead 30 to 45 seconds. I'm sure I can tell it in that time. So early on in the series, they accidentally find themselves in an elevator with Allison Janney. Okay. And so they they pitch it to Allison. Okay. And she does not want to hear it because she's riding an elevator, and who are these idiots? She doesn't know who they are. Yeah, duh. And then many episodes later, like that's planted very early on. And it did strike me a little bit like that's a waste of Alice and Janney. 
Mm-hmm. Like she's she has this one scene in this. And it's like I would if you have her, wouldn't you make more of her? Well, she comes back <laughs> later in the season because. She's now playing the lead in a very similar movie with a very similar title that is not there. Like they've just oh, made a deal snatched. to have their movie made for like five thousand, five hundred thousand dollars each. Their mm-hmm. lives are made. This is it. They're do, and then that project crumbles mm-hmm. because Allison Janney. They didn't copyright. They didn't copyright the script. They didn't whatever, or the concept with the WGA. <laughs> It's not copyright. They just yeah. never registered the copyright. It's not even the W. Well, it might be the WGA, but you also register with the Copyright Office, and they oh, hadn't okay. done that, and so they don't. They don't own the copyright, and so Alice and Janney took their idea, and now is doing basically the same movie, but you know they're not getting anything for it. Would so absolutely it comes... watch the shout out of a President Alice and Janney movie as well, regardless of right. Uh huh. A hundred percent would. I can't believe um, nobody's. I mean. People must have pitched that to her over the years, but maybe once mom comes down, we can see that. Maybe. I mean, I'm sure. Has that, maybe that movie hasn't, I guess it hasn't been made. We really haven't, we not had a movie that was about the, I guess we haven't. Well, speaking of Gina Davis, she did There's a been show TV. called Commander in Chief. Commander in Chief, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it didn't I don't last think there long, have sadly. been a ton of high profile, uh, pardon the parlance, but lady president movies. No, I think um, and Commander in Chief was TV. Madam Secretary is TV, and I think she may eventually have made it to president on Madam Secretary. I, I don't, I don't really watch it, that show. I'm just vaguely aware of it from commercials. There honestly. was a female president. My apologies in to Taylioni. Yeah, there was a female president was, in 24. I think it was Cherry Jones. Okay, and and sometimes in movies and stuff, mm-hmm. you get yeah. that. I mean, it used to be, you know, if there was a black president or a female president, you knew it was the future. Yeah, exactly. So now it's just if there's a female president or maybe you a black female fiction. president, well, you know it's fiction because um, a black president happened. Oh. So we know that's possible. But yeah, there was yeah. a time when that was your device for we are in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now it like, means um, we are in the past. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to go into the future and finish up this episode. <laughs> Chris won't let me be sad. <laughs> well, I just don't want our listeners to be sad. Be sad on your own. No, of course today. not. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. We actually, we should uh, wrap it up. We're at about an hour. Uh, I'm going to, with your indulgence, name yeah. check a couple of more quick things. Uh, sure. Alice Wetterland, a really amazing stand-up comic, just as a special out. Uh, so please take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, um, a, a thing that I have loved for a long time is a uh, machinima, an animated series called Red vs. Blue. And mm-hmm. uh, I just started watching it again, and I, I wanted to get that out there in case people have not heard of that. It's uh, based on the original Halo game, and it's uh, a really sort of dumb, hilarious, just a fun show that I have been watching for the last few days to not think about <laughs> other shit that I have to do. So, yep. I you got to have your too. dumb hilarity sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any um, last thoughts for yourself before we uh, move into plugs and things? Uh, oh, I did. I did super enjoy. As I said last weekend, there was a lot of Netflixing because I wasn't home and I oh, couldn't right. do much else. Uh, I watched all of the Netflix series Dirty John with Connie Britton. Okay, I've heard of this. Uh, it's very well done. Cool. It, it was another case of uh, certain characters annoying 
<laughs> the hell out of me because the actors were doing such a good job. Yeah. Um, I, I recommend watching it and you will be frustrated with it probably. Um, but then also watching the documentary, which I think is the same or a very similar title and also on Netflix about the real story on which this is based. Because oh, if, if some of the characters and in particular, if the daughters, if you find them a bit grating, in the mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. you will understand upon watching the documentary <laughs> that they are doing a fabulous job of portraying the people they were portraying. Fun. <laughs> so well done to Julia Garner and Juno Temple. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I have, I have one final question and then we'll do plugs. You Let's mentioned that the cats that you were house sitting for are named yes. Salvador and Georgia. Yes. Are they named for Dolly and O'Keefe? Um, uh, I think Salvador might be. Oh. I am not sure about Georgia. I was I so have... impressed by my, with myself having noticed that. I wonder if, because Stevie has very, like, sophisticated friends. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I didn't name the cats. Um, Salvador, Salvador is this amazing tuxedo cat, like a there black and white tuxedo cat. He's very appropriately named. Um, and I don't know what to call Georgia's <laughs> pattern. But she's quite lovely. Um, you'll find photos of them in my Instagram, probably. Because <laughs> when I cat sit, I do tend to take photos. Salvador um, is a very friendly cat. He loves me. Like, when, I, when I'm there, he <laughs> will not leave my side. He curls up right beside me on the couch. In fact, he sort of shoves me into the smallest corner he can. <laughs> uh, but curls up right next to me. We're buds. We're buds. Wow. And then Georgia uh, likes to judge me silently from across the room. That seems and more character with a cat. It takes her a couple of days to get used to me. Like usually, the I've house sat there before and I was there longer. This time I was there from like a Friday night to a Sunday late afternoon. Mm-hmm. And by Sunday afternoon, like by lunchtime Sunday, Georgia <laughs> had to deigned to sit on the couch with me and Salvador. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but up until then, no, she wasn't having it. In fact, she <laughs> I tried to pet her at one point and she just swatted at me. Wow. Yeah, she was not having it. It was like, you're not my human. You're Which not my real Which is weird because she knows me. Yeah, <laughs> but she knows me. I've, ha- I've house sat slash cat sat there before. I'm friends with her humans. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've looked after their child. I've hung out. <laughs> like, her mom and I are friends, <laughs> basically. Um, so, I, I, yeah, but I think she just... I think also maybe part of what happened uh, was that my friend had been away at the Toronto International Film Festival. Cool. And then, rather than, you know, coming home and plunking down with the cats, then she and the family had gone off to visit more family. So, you know, sort of, she, you know, she didn't didn't come home and Mm -hmm. the rest of the family left to go all commune together as a family and I came in to feed the cats and they're like, where's Alex? Um, but Salvador was cool with it. He likes me fine. He's very cuddly. <laughs> yeah. They're, so they're opposite personalities. But they're they're lovely and they're pretty chill when they're not swatting at you. And um, <laughs> and the way to not get swatted at is just not to try to pet her. Like, she just wasn't into it. It's like, all right, that's fine. And, we're um, all just going to yeah. mind our own business. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I know the genesis of their names. I, I certainly cannot confirm. <laughs> whether Georgia is named after Georgia O'Keeffe. 
<laughs> I just think the potential coincidence of those two things, uh, I don't know. It's a, a moment it's, of It's possible. It's me. an artsy family, so it's possible. <laughs> I'll try to remember to ask. <laughs> yeah, report back on our next episode, would you? I'm having I'm having dinner over there on Wednesday, so I'll try to <laughs> I'll try to remember and report back. Okay, well let's <laughs> let's do the plugs and things. Uh, as you guys have probably gotten used to by now, we've started uh, highlighting a couple of organizations that are doing some good in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, this episode we're going to tell you about a couple of them. Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, so this time I wanted to highlight Oxfam Canada, mm-hmm. although they're also global. Yeah. Um, Oxfam came to mind actually because I, <laughs> I was uh, on my way home a few nights ago, and I was, uh, and it was raining, and it was it was not a nice day, and I was stopped on the street mm-hmm. by a young woman. I was on my phone texting somebody, and. Um, I was stopped by a young woman who said, excuse me, are you by any chance texting about women's rights? Oh, yeah. And weirdly, I was, because my friend and I were having a bit of a, uh, I don't like this word, but we're having a bit of a bitch session about how unfair some things are. Of course. Um, <laughs> the, the world. <laughs> yeah. And so, so in fact, uh, in a way, I was. So I sort of looked up and went, uh, yes, because she caught me off guard. <laughs> and it turned out she was fundraising for Oxfam. And uh, I let her talk to me because she was sweet. Uh, but I didn't, I don't, I make a practice of not donating on the street because you can't always confirm that people are who they, they say they are. Yeah. Uh, but I did promise to go home. I've, I've certainly heard of Oxfam before, but I promised to go home and investigate them a bit and look at the website. And I did. Um, and so I thought what I would do is highlight, rather than donate on the street, is I would highlight <laughs> them on this episode. So, um Oxfam Canada is an affiliate of the International Oxfam Confederation, which is in over 90 countries. Wow. Um, Yeah, and they say, these are their words, I'm just going to read it very quickly. Our mission is to build lasting solutions to poverty and injustice with a focus on improving the lives and promoting the rights of women and girls. And uh, their big focus is on women's rights because this is, you know, this is how we improve things. Yeah. So every project they do is designed with and for women. Um, They partner with women's rights organizations, so it's not just them coming in and saying, this is what should happen, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Um, But it's, you know, they're trying to change things, like in in third world places where the boys get to go to school and the girls are fetching firewood, and they're they're working against that kind of inequality. Um, they'll be here soon enough. Yeah, they might be. Um, they've been in Canada specifically since 1963. Wow. Uh, the organization has been around since about 1942. And, um, yeah, they've there, but they're all over the world and you can do a bunch of stuff, but frankly, the easiest is to donate. You can also, um, they have a little, like a web store so you can buy products or you can donate and get like a magnet or something in return. Cool. Or you or you can just send them money. So, mm-hmm. and I would advocate unless you need more stuff and with no disrespect <laughs> to their store, just maybe just send them money. Yeah. Um and it's it's like the food bank, right? You should just always give the food bank money. Nobody wants your dry pasta and your old can of peas because if you just give them money, they can actually buy a lot more and different food with it than yeah. than they would ever get. Um from, from your can of peas. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, oxfam.ca 
in Canada, I would imagine, although I didn't test it, that Oxfam.com or Oxfam.co.uk would probably get you to the relevant yeah, place probably. or just Google Oxfam. Um, but yeah, you can you can buy stuff from them. You can become a monthly donor. Um, you can do like a one-time donation. You can become a corporate partner if you're a corporation and Ooh. you so choose. But um, as I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast has figured out, I am a raging feminist. I am always going <laughs> to highlight women and girls' rights. I'm very proud of it. And uh, yeah, send money to Oxfam because they're helping out women and girls. And if you see Stevie on the street, like she's probably texting about women's rights. I very well <laughs> might be these days, you guys. I mean... It's a world out there. Um, who, who do you want to highlight, Chris? <laughs> well, the organization that I wanted to talk about is... Um, it's all about men. I, Sorry. That's right. <laughs> Let's talk about men's rights. No, fuck that bullshit. I'm not even going to do that bit. Um, I know. I was uh, rereading a book recently called Salt, Sugar, Fat by Michael Moss, who's a hmm. journalist and a... a Award-winning writer, I think. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. I didn't look up his bio. Let's um, assume he is. But it's basically, <laughs> the book is, um, it's about the processed food industry, which I know ah. sounds real dry just right off the top, but it's about salt, sugar, and fat, the substances, and mm -hmm. how they're used in what we eat and the effects that they have on us. He talks about, like, the cola wars and the origination mm -hmm. of a term that I know everyone loves, mouthfeel. Ugh. <laughs> and how the pr big processed food industry Gross. companies, I know, right? Um, how they like launched a mission in the late 90s, early aughts to essentially get all of their existing customers to increase their own consumption rather than broadening their market. So mm. that's when you start to see, like, if you go to the cookie aisle, it's not just Milano's. There's raspberry Milano's and orange and mint and double chocolate and dark chocolate and, like, 15 different varieties of fucking everything. Wow. Because snack foods can't just be snack foods. They want you to eat everything all the time. And right. the impact that all of that has had on our general health and fitness without talking about body shape or attempting mm -hmm. to fat shame anybody uh generally speaking the u.s specifically as a country has be gotten less healthy in the last couple of generations and mm -hmm. processed food is one of the big culprits in that equation and so bringing that around to what we're talking about the center for science and the public interest is a consumer watchdog group which is cited heavily in the book and that's what made me think of them because I've given money to them a bunch over the years. They were mm -hmm. founded in 1971. Uh, they're one of the oldest independent science-based consumer advocacy organizations. Uh, and basically what they do is a lot of research and a lot of advocacy and try to figure out what we're shoving in our gobs, you guys. Because mm. a lot of it's not great. And so they do some education and some outreach. And you can find them at cspinet.org. And we're going to put links to everything up so you don't have to remember what I just said. But uh, if you give them money, they'll send you a calendar. They'll send you all kinds of good information. And they've got a lot of good stuff on their website. So, uh, you know, eat some vegetables and throw a couple, <laughs> money, throw a couple <laughs> monies at CSBI. <laughs> don't eat to science and eat that cucumber. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Cucumber's a fruit, not a vegetable. <laughs> That's true. It is. Yeah. What so is the tomato. What have we learned today? Thing to say. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> we we started with the giggles, and I'm glad we held together this. Oh, long. we've been doing. Yeah, we're. Uh, I don't know what's going on, you guys. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my plugs and then we're gonna giggle our way out of here. You can okay, good. Do your plugs. Find me at ChristopherRoyce.com. <laughs> Chris M. Royce on Twitter and Instagram. I am working feverishly on a novel due in January. Uh, I will probably talk more about it as we get closer because that's the way I'm going to try to hold myself accountable by having our legion of fan make fun of me if I don't have it done. <laughs> All 12 of them. Plug the plug, Stevie. <laughs> uh, my plugs. Okay, I am on the social meds at Stevie KJ. <laughs> Chris is making a face. <laughs> I don't like social meds. I know, it's a deserved face, and I used it ironically. I used the term ironically. No, you uh, didn't. Right, so Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> at Stevie KJ. You can find photos of cats. You can find, who knows? <laughs> I might have made a pizza and taken a photo of it. Currently, there's a photo essay about the 18 years I have spent living in Vancouver. Um, also, uh, my website is steviejackson.ca, and please watch my web series, which is very likely a one-season wonder, called Honestly Charlotte. It's at honestlycharlotte.com. Uh, all of it's there. You can also just find it on YouTube or Vimeo if you prefer. It's on Starable as well. It's out there. Go find it. Go watch it. If you like it, tell me. If you don't like it, I don't need to know. Thank you. <laughs> Hooray. We did it. Another episode. We did it. <laughs> and as always, <laughs> well, we don't have a catchphrase for the ending. I really thought if I just said that, something would come. But I mean, we could, make our, we could make our catchphrase, we did it. But and as always, we did it. <laughs> we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. The Talent Crush Chat Show podcast is written, edited, and produced by Christopher Royce and Stevie Jackson. Show notes, social media links, and more can be found at talentcrushchatshow.tumblr.com. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to help more people discover the show. If you want us to give you some unreliable advice, send us an email at talentcrushchatshow at gmail.com.